How is everyone doing today? I hope you're having a great day. You're listening to Seven Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers, a podcast about discovering your strength, resilience, acceptance, perhaps even finding your new path after a stroke or life-altering event. I'm Christine, your host and a stroke survivor. It took me a while to accept the new me after my stroke, and my goal is to help others on their journey, along with the whole Seven Jars team. Why the name? The new me absolutely loves hot pickled peppers. Well, let's get to it. Welcome to Seven Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers, Season 2, Episode 5. You can't eat an elephant. The information and advice provided by Seven Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers, Ken and Christine Jackson, the speakers and commentators on their podcasts, interviews and references in the book, are not a substitute for the advice and treatment plan provided by your own healthcare professionals. Further, it's not intended to be an adjunct to any existing or proposed advice or treatment plan you may currently be receiving from your healthcare professional. One of the most important things we've come to realize is that each individual and their family's journey through a stroke or major life event and its recovery is truly unique. The story and information provided by ourselves and our guests is solely intended to let you and your family know that, one, you're not alone. Other people and families have gone through or are going through similar experiences. Two, there are resources available that you may not be aware of that may help you and your family through the stroke recovery process. And three, there may be other treatment options available. Again, please consult your healthcare professional regarding your treatment plan and do not follow the treatment plans that are discussed in the information that we have provided as it is solely intended and directed for Christine and her continuing care. Thank you. You can join the conversation on YouTube and Facebook at Seven Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers for our video version of the podcast. You can check out our website at sevenjarsofhotpickledpeppers.com or you can download our podcasts on iTunes or Podbean. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Seven Jars. Now it's time for Quote of the Cast. It's always the small pieces that make the big picture. Anonymous. Let's look at the big picture. How many times have I heard that during endless meetings? Everyone being encouraged to see everything. See how it works all together. What happens when it's too much to look at the big picture? What if it is overwhelming? Could the bombardment of so much information result in missing small details? Or worse, prevent something that could have been good from even being started? What's the old saying? Miss the forest for the trees? 
which could be interpreted as being unable to grasp the big picture because of concern for small details. But if you say it backwards, can't see the trees for the forest, it could mean being unable to focus on the small important details, spreading yourself too thin even. For me, especially after my stroke, too much information, looking at the whole forest just shut my brain down, leaving me feeling emotional and helpless. If it was too big, I felt lost. The lesson for breaking the forest down into individual trees came from the most unexpected place, learning to quilt. With my neurologist and stroke team, it had become apparent I wasn't ready to return to work yet. This was devastating. I felt betrayed by my own body. And to be honest, I was getting antsy at home. My liberator from self-pity came in the form of my neighbor, Gloria, who also teaches quilting. She offered me to join her class, and before I could say no, self-doubt telling me I couldn't do it, she told me all I needed to do was sew a straight line. The next day I went to her house for tea and had fun picking out fabric from her vast collection. Our other neighbor was there, and the two ladies told me all I needed to do was pick out matching colors, which they gladly assisted me with. Gloria drove me to and from class and lent me all the tools and materials I needed. The first class wore me out. Sewing straight lines was a challenge with my vestibular disturbances, but Dan, my physiotherapist, was thrilled at these daily living exercises. After class, I was mentally exhausted, but also felt a sense of accomplishment. It was so good to get out of the house with someone other than my husband, sorry, Ken, and learn something new. It was a small group of incredibly kind, supportive ladies. Each class, Gloria introduced the next step, gave me time to practice. Some of the steps were like mysterious magic, how it came together. And even though I know the end goal, I didn't know how sewing all the straight lines was going to work. But by only concentrating on each step, I was able to finish a quilted tote bag. I was so proud and the group gave me lots of compliments. I looked at my bag, couldn't believe I'd been able to make this. If Gloria had started by telling me all the steps that was expected, I don't think I could have started. The forest would have been too big. Gloria understood my challenges and broke it into small manageable chunks. And there were many added benefits. Quilting is a conglomeration of skills encouraging a brain workout. For me, just sewing and comprehending the patterns was a vestibular and sight challenge. Then thinking about the math to ensure everything fit together, the hand-eye coordination, to use the lethally sharp fabric cutter, so many things. But by just concentrating on what I needed to do that class, I was successful. I saw the forest by focusing on the trees. Who would have thought that quilting would provide a much needed life lesson? It's important to be aware of the big picture, but don't let the enormity of it prevent you from taking small steps in the right direction. If you think about it, each of our lives is a forest filled with individual trees. Life is a big picture made up of small pixels. Focusing on those small parts being successful in any tiny way just adds to the beauty of your big picture. 
For me, sewing straight lines has led to so much more. So if life throws you scraps, make a quilt. Introducing today's guest. Gloria Bolivar is a trained nurse from Newfoundland. She comes from a family of 11 children. She moved to Alberta 35 years ago and relocated to Wetaskiwin 29 years ago. She's married, has four amazing children, and she started quilting in 1978 with her mother-in-law in Nova Scotia. Welcome, Gloria. Thank you for joining us today to expose some of the mysteries of the art of quilting and finding the trees in the forest. Hi. Thanks for having me and for feeding me your delicious lasagna. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you could make it over and that we could make a whole night of it. So first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I was born and raised as the oldest of 11 children in a small fishing village in Newfoundland. Oh, wow. We caught or grew all our own food, and my father earned money as a logger. I always wanted to be a teacher. I uh, started university in the early 70s to pursue that goal. Um, jobs for teachers were scarce, though, so I switched to nursing to be more sure of a job because, you know, being a logger's daughter, you have to get a job as soon as you graduate. For sure. Uh, my end goal was to teach nursing in Newfoundland, but um, a husband and four children sent my life in a different direction and to a different part of the country. Yeah, we moved to Alberta 35 years ago to Wetaskiwin 29 years ago, and we became your neighbor, <laughs> what, 18 years ago? 15 years 15 ago. 15 years ago. Yes. Uh, when we moved, I became a full-time parent and uh, an active volunteer for our local hospital and other community groups, and uh, here I am. Wow, that's fantastic. What a life story. How exciting. And the volunteerism, you've helped me get started in volunteerism as part of my therapy with hopefully my continued recovery, and you were also my catalyst to start quilting. So please, can you share what got you started in quilting? Uh, my mother-in-law was an avid quilter and she lived in a small community in uh, Nova Scotia. All the women quilted. It was uh, a big part of the social life of the community. They'd have quilting bees every week. I was fascinated by this when I met her and uh, she started me on my first quilt the day after we met. Really? <laughs> yeah. It was a crazy quilt that used um, the the good bits of worn out clothing and you embellished it with fancy stitches and uh, then put it together. It's not quite together 40 years later, but oh my I'm still working on it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't get much of a chance to pursue the hobby at first, but... Every time I had a baby, she came out to stay with us for several months, and she always brought along a project for us to work on. 
And then in the 80s, quilting became really popular everywhere. Right. That was two babies in for me. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um, new tools and techniques like rotary cutters, uh, special rulers, meant you didn't have to cut out everything by hand. And even busy people could do a quilt in a short time. So I started taking some classes, read a lot of books and magazines. Back then, we didn't have YouTube. Nowadays, nice. there's so much more information out there that can help you. That's fantastic. So your your mother-in-law was your first teacher. You're still finishing your first project, your crazy quilts. Was that the name of the project, a crazy quilt? Yeah, that's a technique. Yes. Okay, great. I'll have to teach you in the next class. Uh, I can't wait. So, and you've done a lot of self-learning um, yourself through different um, venues. So when you first started, did you use patterns? I, I did initially, but uh, I don't anymore. I get ideas from Pinterest, uh, uh, going to quilt shows, friends share ideas. And uh, now I, I basically look at a picture and um, or several pictures, mm -hmm. give some time for the idea to percolate and, and come up with something that's kind of a unique design. I, I don't like copying someone else's work but it's a good way to start as a beginner for sure so you design your own project or you have an idea so do you have an idea of what it'll look like at the end or does it develop as your project takes shape well you usually start with the plan but um, you stay flexible sometimes you find a fabric that will work better than the one you had initial, initially or mm -hmm. you run out of fabric. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to be flexible. <laughs> and sometimes it looks like what you thought it would and sometimes it's completely different. But I like that it's uniquely yours. No one else put together that combination of fabric and made that particular uh, quilt. That's amazing and so creative. So can you tell us some of your more memorable quilts that you've made over the years? Well, I did. I did actually did a crazy quilt for uh, my first grandchild. I uh, took lace from uh, my wedding quilt and uh, lace that both her great-grandmothers had done really? and other objects that were kind of personal to the family and uh, created a, a quilt to bring her home from the hospital. That is so special. So many good feelings and memories with that. That's amazing. So how many quilts do you think you've made over the years? Uh, about 140, 150. Wow, that's a lot of quilts over the years. So do, why do you make quilts? Do you have someone special in mind that you make them for? I don't like to make a quilt unless I have someone in mind for it. I like to be thinking of the person when I'm making their quilt. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, uh, I do quilts for my kids, for the grandkids. I have five grandchildren right now. Nice. Um, do them wedding gifts for special people in my life. Right. I started a tradition of uh, giving each of my siblings a quilt when they uh, reached their 50th birthday. And wow. uh, 
I just gave the last one to the 10th brother or the 10th sibling in March of this year. Really? That's fantastic. I bet they've all just looked so forward to receiving a quilt from from you. That's amazing. Well, it's become a, kind of a family unifying thing, too. They, they expect it and they look forward to, because we get together and have a little party every time uh, I bring <sighs> the quilt. What a wonderful tradition. So quilting is embroiled into your life. So what made you decide to start teaching quilting? Well, I've always wanted to be a teacher. <laughs> That's right. That was your first thought That was for my university. original plan. Uh, our neighborhood group, uh, we had a craft group um, back in the 90s in this neighborhood. There were about 10 of us, and we were all interested in quilting. And uh, we started doing a different block each month. I would find the pattern and uh, develop the instructions. And uh, it evolved into a book, uh, really? which we self-published. And uh, that led to an offer to teach at the craft center. So I've been doing it since 93, I think, was the first year. That's amazing. So over 20 years. So that was my next question, how long you've been teaching it, but a long time. So do you just teach quilting or do you teach other classes as well? No, just quilting. Uh, I think that's more than enough because it's a very broad art. So I enjoyed the group who take your class and it was more than just quilting. It was like therapy for me. Do you think any of your other participants have used it for benefits other than just the art of quilting? Well, I think all of them have. Um, there's a, a friendship that develops and uh, everyone looks forward to Wednesday afternoons. I know, I sure do. It's a real welcoming feeling. So over the years, have you had any men take the class? Uh, no, that would be... Uh, an interesting dynamic to see how we would fit in. <laughs> well, I think it would be good. I know um, I've had some men interested in it because there is very design and mathematical orientated. But I've also read articles that promote quilting as being therapeutic and good for mental health. What are your thoughts about that? I It's very therapeutic for me. Whenever I'm overwhelmed or stressed or sad or in a bad mood, I go to my sewing room and uh, start either sewing or cutting fabric. And uh, the hours just slip away. I look up, oh my gosh, I haven't had time to make <laughs> supper. Oops. <laughs> so you find something in working on your project calming for your spirit, so to speak. And many of my fellow quilters uh, have shared that they feel the same way. They they love the opportunity to be creative. And uh, having something to show for your time is very important. Uh, the Quilting is relaxing, but time the fact that the time is also productive uh, mm -hmm. appeals to a lot of people. For sure, you have something to show for your efforts. There's, yeah, it's... There's a pride. I know after I finished my first project, I felt an immense sense of pride. 
And as I've accomplished more, I still get that same feeling. So for you, having completed more than 140 quilts, do you still get a feeling of pride? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I like to think that I'm growing and that each quilt is the best one I've made to date. I guess so. It's amazing. So now on another level, do you feel pride in your students' success, knowing you are part of their journey? That's one of the best parts of teaching quilting. Uh, just about every one of my students seems to have a, a light bulb moment where, and you can tell when it happens, when they realize they're able to create something from scratch and it's going to be beautiful. Uh, the look of pride when they hold it up finished never gets old. Uh, I I know it hasn't for me. So do you think, uh, you mentioned about the group of friends, is it more than just the act of quilting? Do you think it includes the shopping, picking out fabric, maybe going to quilt shows, maybe a sense of camaraderie that adds to the experience? I'm I'm not sure how it is with other crafts, but uh, quilters are an automatic community. You become a quilter, and you have suddenly have all these friends who are willing to share their ideas, their fabric. Their it, it's I don't think there's quite another craft out there like it. I would agree with you for sure. So, have you entered any of your projects into any competitions? I used to, and I did very well, but usually when I do a quilt now, I it, it's destined for someone, and I give it to them when I make it, and the quilt show is not for another six months. I can't uh. hang on to it, and I can't ask for it back. <laughs> yeah, understandable for sure. So going back to you being a teacher, the way you introduced quilting to me was very wise. You only introduced each step as necessary. You let me focus my energies on what I needed without worrying about what was next. So because of that, I am now a quilting addict. And I've used this method in other parts of my life. So did you just use this for me, knowing that I was a stroke survivor and stroke recovery? Or do you use this approach with most new quilters? Well, 25 years of teaching, I found that that approach looks be works best to let everyone set their own pace. And there's no point in moving on until you've mastered uh, the skill that you need to before. Mm -hmm. And I'm very fortunate that the class I'm teaching now, I have a lot of flexibility. Everyone can proceed at their own rate. There's no... Uh, pressure to keep up with the class because everyone's working on their own thing, going at their own rate, and it, it works really well. It's fantastic. I know I really appreciated the way you led the class because there was a feeling of camaraderie and community, but we were all able to work individually as well. So do you use this tactic in your daily life as well, breaking big jobs into little chunks? I think it's a, it's a good idea for life, and I do use it all the time, whether I'm making a quilt or um, planning a trip. 
just break it down into small manageable chunks and eventually all gets done. Yeah. No, that's a great before my stroke. I used to have 50 balls juggling all the time, but now I need to set daily small goals to get stuff done so I'm not overwhelmed. So in one of our conversations, you shared a life philosophy with me. Do you mind if I share it now? Oh, not at all. So you said sometimes it doesn't matter if the whole world is supporting you. Success can be just out of reach. Then success must be refined as that which can be accomplished. So in our discussions, you commented that sometimes our goals or projects or life need to be realistic. So in keeping with the topic of this podcast, broken into smaller achievable parts. So for me, I probably won't run any more marathons, but I have smaller achievable goals that still fulfill my need for physical activity. So you are the, the, the breaking point for this thought. Could you share your views on that? I know that whenever I feel unhappy, uh, unsettled, I've learned to take a look at what I'm expecting of myself. And quite often I find that my goals are uh, unrealistic and I really need to smarten up and redefine them <laughs> if I'm going to have any chance of getting anything done. Right. Yeah, so is that how it became a viewpoint, just sort of life experience and... Raising four works. kids, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So have you shared these wise words with others who may have been going through some challenges? Have other people found them inspirational and in maybe helping them get through their, their challenge? Well, I do share, and I, and I like to think that... Uh, some people, especially my siblings, occasionally <laughs> <laughs> take note and think that those are wise words. Right, for sure. So if someone else were considering starting quilting, what advice or counsel could you offer them? Uh, just do it. They won't regret it. <laughs> it is an addictive craft pastime, whatever you want to call it, inspiration. So finally, Gloria, any last words for people who may be working through recovery from a stroke or any other life-altering events? I think just be patient and kind, patient with yourself and your efforts at recovery, and be kind to yourself. Things take time. And if you're able be like Christine and learn something new. <laughs> well, thank you. And thank you for promoting me towards going towards um, being a quilter. I appreciate that. And I've done things I never thought I would be able to do. Your sage approach to focusing on the details within the big picture, it certainly helped me. And I'm sure it can help many others. Hopefully we've inspired others to try quilting. It really is an amazing craft, combining creativity, math, for me, vestibular exercises, and of course, as we talked about, the camaraderie. 
Even if you know your end goal, taking it one step at a time, one day at a time, as Gloria said, be patient, can assist with achieving your goal. You can't eat an elephant in a day, but with time, help, and a few good recipes, it will be finished before you know it. follow us on Twitter at 7jars. We post daily with all the latest stroke research, innovation, and inspiration. Follow us. Now it's time for the joke of the week. That was an amazing interview. Do you know, since I've learned quilting, it's filled my days. Then our living room, dining room, bedroom, closets. Yeah, I know. I think there's still a bed in our spare bedroom underneath all the fabric. (laughs) Now it's time for our segment on survivor stories. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to share your own stroke or survival story or your experience as a caregiver. You can submit your story through our website at Seven Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers or personal message us on Facebook. We look forward to reading your story. Here's a story of a stroke survivor, Jitendra Rajput, we received, read by Ken. I'm so glad to share my story of how a strong willpower, faith in doctors, in God, and support from my family and friends helps in fighting this deadly disease known as stroke. I'm a young survivor of stroke. I had a stroke when I was 30 years old with no previous history of any health-related issues. So it came as quite a surprise to me and my family when I suffered from stroke because I enjoyed a healthy life with no addiction to smoking or drinking. My left side was severely affected with no movement for the first month. I was very disappointed with my life and in God. I used to think, why me? But then slowly and steadily I started making progress. I've started to pray to God to give courage to anyone who's affected by stroke. Thank you, Jitendra, for your wise words and for your courage to share your story. And you're so right. Have the courage and strength to take a step forward every day. Now for our stroke link. You know, Christine, quilting seems fascinating to me from the little bit that I did to help you. (laughs) You sure did help, and dare I admit, you became quite adept at ironing. What do you mean adept? I've always been the ironer (laughs) in the family. 
But you know, that pizza wheel fabric cutter scares me. That thing is so sharp. <laughs> it sure is, but there's so many cool tools, fabrics, patterns. It all makes quilting so much fun. I agree. I had fun buying some of the things you needed off of Amazon, too. I wanted to learn a bit more about quilting, so of course, I surfed the net. You should have asked Gloria. But what did you find? Well, you know, I found a site that describes quilting as an art form and as a therapy. There's a lot of information, even how to store and clean quilts. You know, I looked at that too, at your recommendation. I love the ideas, designs, and I really related to one sentence in the article. It said, quilters find a quiet space where they can take their minds off life troubles. I may need to start another project. Buy more material? Ha! Huh. Buy more material? Well, at least I know where all the fabric stores in Alberta are now. I scrolled down to the bottom of the article, and I found a couple of related links. One was called, Why Crafting is So Good for Mental Health. I looked at that too. It talked about how complex creative crafts can create a non-medical feel-good high. I know quilting always made me feel good. I was so lucky Gloria was able to offer me lessons and get me started. It was something I would never have considered. And it's helped me put other parts of my life in perspective. Oh, for sure. You know, if quilting is something you're interested in, or if you need a vestibular workout, or maybe you just want to learn more about it, we recommend you read up on it. Find the link in the YouTube video made by Kevin in Vancouver. And by the way, if quilting isn't your thing, find a hobby that interests you and go for it. May I suggest drumming? <laughs> Last but not least, remember FAST, F-A-S-T, Face, Arm, Speech, Time. If you or a loved one experience any changes in your face, arm, or speech, time to get yourself to the hospital quickly. You can call 911 in Canada for emergencies, or for inquiries, you can call HealthLink in Canada at 1-866-408-408. 5465 and talk to a healthcare professional. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, or if you have any questions, comments, jokes, or ideas for future topics, contact us at our website, sevenjarsofhotpickledpeppers.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to hear more about Christine's journey, please check out the website. Her book is available for purchase. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And look for the rainbow in your thunderstorm. Goodbye and good health. <laughs>